outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Journey. Well, today finds me in the hill country of South Texas. Is that right? That's right. The is that Texas where we are? Hill Country. You're in Wimberley, Texas. Wimberley, Texas, down between somewhere between Austin and San Antonio. That's somewhere. right. We're smack dab in the middle of Austin and San Antonio. And for those of you who don't recognize that voice, that's a, a, an infrequent guest here at the God Journey since. Uh, you were the sex lady after you wrote the book Unashamed it's a true. long time ago. It's true. I've had a lot of life since I wrote that book. You, you have had. <laughs> this is Tracy Levinson. You guys live down here in the Bell House something? Yes. We took an old thrift store and turned it into a venue and Airbnb. Here. And home. And home. We live here. You live in the middle of this and you've got a venue for dinners and parties and weddings and rehearsal dinners and my son and my husband call it house hacking trying to find a way to make revenue off the place you live in okay but then you gotta have a lot of strangers through your house now then it's true but my husband loves strangers <laughs> and you go hide in the back room somewhere <laughs> yeah in the middle of a cooking class you'll find me hiding okay so where's this journey? You were on a podcast about three years ago. Mm -hmm. I think people really enjoyed your honesty and openness and frankness about a lot of things. Yeah. Where have you journeyed in the last three years that you'd want to talk about today? Well, I think it's interesting to, to um, tune in to people's stories. And the last time I was on the God journey, I was probably in my great sorrow. I was having, Bruce and I were having some struggles in our marriage. He had also um, gotten cancer and we were walking through a cancer yep, journey that. and that was really difficult for both of us and I am what's interesting is during that season I kept hanging on to the thought that God is really good and that he was and I had confidence that he was with me but that was about it <laughs> in terms of my joy factor and I had some friends, a handful of friends that I just chose to be incredibly vulnerable with and honest with during that season, which that was a season where I just kept asking God if I could go home. I was not having fun on planet Earth. Oh, wow. Go home that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, for real. Like, I just was, every day was so hard. Did that actually go to you plotting ways to do that? Or are you just no. begging him to take That's where Sarah started with begging God to take her home. Yeah. And then it went to... Thinking of ways yeah. to go home, to help God do what God wasn't doing, I guess. <laughs> no, and that, that I understand that. I have compassion and sympathy and understanding towards that. No, mine was just more just asking God rhetorically, can I go home? And then sensing the Lord, not audibly, but sensing the Lord saying, listen, listen, sister, <laughs> you're going to be here for a while. Um, and so <laughs> I just walking through that season but then what was cool during that season is, you know, you get sometimes when you're really hurting, you might get dramatic and pull out the book of Job or, you know, some of those. And I kept looking at what happened at the end of Job's life and some of the promises of God. And you just kind of go when, you know, God, you, you are a restorer and you are a refresher and you are a redeemer. And I know that about you. Is that going to happen to me? You know, when you're in the hard stuff, right? Yeah, and it and it will. You will experience the redemption, but we never know what the circumstances will be because there are people in the same place that didn't get their marriage back, and 
you know, Sarah and I did. So when we talk about it with people, we've met a lot of people that didn't. And we, we were told in the midst of what we were in that there's a 99% chance I would never talk to Sarah again. Mm. And we've met that 99%. Mm. Where there, and even where in, encountered trauma, but 20 years ago, 15 years ago, people didn't even, Sarah wouldn't have known the trauma that mm. was hers two years ago. Mm. She wouldn't have known. And it, would just, it was just pain and sorrow and darkness. And I mean, we're, we're grateful every day that we got each other back. We really are. But man, it was, it was not a guaranteed outcome. And what Kyle and I have often talked about on the podcast was whether she came back or not, God had a future for her and God had a future for me. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out this way. But that took two people volunteering to find their way back to it. Exactly, because I wouldn't have wanted to stay married had my husband not had a, a significant shift. Um, we had, um, there were just things that had gone on that were just not right and painful. And it was a, it was actually a big deal for me to face, that was part of what was so difficult in that season was me facing, I can't continue to live with someone who's treating me this way. And to really face that and the reality of what that would mean, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, Bruce and I just talked about it the other day, it was the best thing that ever happened to him was me getting to a place where I couldn't take it anymore. And so, and the change didn't come in self-reformation, strength of will kind of thing. No, he was, we, I told him we had to go to a counselor, a marriage counselor. We spent a weekend with a dear friend of ours named John Cheesby. And he was working with um, Bruce. And in the midst of that, I mean, I've, Bruce had an encounter with God, like you, when you read about Paul in Damascus, hmm. where he you know, I've never experienced anything with God like that. All my, most of my experiences with God are like a still, quiet voice, which I'm thrilled with. But Bruce had a, a genuine encounter with God that was... Was he blinded and knocked to the ground? He, he I'm going to, he, if you ever want him to tell you the story, he will tell you the story. Well, he's not here at the moment. So. But, <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit of the story? Um, it was almost like a vision. It was, it, he had a vision and he was describing it. And it had to do with, well, again, I don't want to tell Bruce's story, but I can tell you that I, after he had this encounter with God, he said he was changed. And then I was with, you know, we, I watched him over a year. It took me about a year to realize that he had really, he had really changed mm -hmm. as a human being. And like, when I say changed, I just mean like the things that like, when you think of God, the godliness, you think of someone who's patient and kind. And Bruce used to be a person who used a lot of words, but his words didn't necessarily mean what was going on in his heart. Hmm. And he just, I just, I've never, I, I guess I, the only th thing I can liken it to is my own salvation. I mean, I did, I came to faith in Jesus when I was, oh gosh, 29 or 30. And I felt new and I didn't have any theology. It wasn't, you know, and, and, and I experienced that in my own marriage. So it really you didn't get the follow-up discipleship materials. You would know. Well, how to they tried, <laughs> they did try, but yeah, it was such a contrast from where I was before. So, and all that to say is it's only God, only God is God in a person. You know, like you said, you can't make yourself change. 
But I think there is something beautiful if you are a person, if you are a person who's in a relationship and the other person is behaving in ways that are not okay. It's sometimes hard to be the person who has to make be be the decision maker where you you're the one that puts the line in the sand and says I can't I won't continue in this. And so there are some marriages where they don't make it. But I I if my husband hadn't changed, I wouldn't it would have not he had broken my heart too many times to where I it would have been bad for me to stay. Mm. And again, this is just something that was helpful to me. I know that there are people out there that are in marriages where there's been um, unfaithfulness, and mm-hmm. I know the Bible talks about that. And I, and and then there's a sensitivity to the concept of divorce, and especially if you're like someone who really wants to follow God, and you're like, I don't know, you know, why does God hate divorce? Well, he if he hates divorce, it's only because divorce is always going to be from some sort of a painful thing. Like God would hate pain for his kids. I mean, God hates hurt. He doesn't hate kids and he doesn't hold. It's it's not like a decision makes, you know what I mean? Like divorce is a moment, is a decision someone makes, but God loves his people. But I will, I do want to say this about, there's something specific about when there's unfaithfulness in a marriage. What's interesting about that is in a way, the person who is unfaithful because sexuality perhaps is connected to covenant, that's when the divorce happens. The person who leaves someone because they were unfaithful, are they really divorcing that person? Well, I mean, technically, legally, yeah, whatever. Or have they already been divorced? Have they been divorced and was it really the decision of the person who chose to break covenant in that way? So it's, yeah, it's the, the paperwork isn't the, the, the no. faulted party. But even then, we know God hates divorce, it says that. but. We actually think it means God hates divorced people, no, which it, yes. it just hates, as I do. Lie. That's he, a lie. When the potential of love yes. gives way to darkness, so it doesn't mm. get to have its full potential. Wow. Uh, who wouldn't hate that? I hate that too. I love the way you said that. I wish you could say that three times and soak it into my brain. Probably not. People can back up and hear Y'all the Y'all have to listen to that again, because that is, that's, that's everything. Like it when you, you keep talking about sin, it's like... That's that phrase is what you what it's like what God I would imagine God's after is the potential, the greatest potential of love. What is that gonna look like? And sometimes that is gonna look like um I have a dear friend whose husband was unfaithful a couple times and their story of redemption is incredible and her capacity for grace and his he's changed as well. Um so that can be a beautiful story too. But there are situations where there's different, t- we've y'all talked a lot about abuse, but there's other, there's all kinds of abuse. There's emotional abuse. Sure. There's, there's the abuse of selfishness where one party takes advantage of the other consistently in the marriage. Which, yeah. And there's the kind of abuse that Sarah went through because she was fawning me. So mm-hmm. she, I'm getting everything I want, even mm-hmm. if I don't want it. And I'm mm-hmm. begging her to be more real about it. There's still, I mean, that's why she was in such a dark place because she could feel that abuse even though. It wasn't my intent, and I don't think it was coming from me, but it's coming from this deep-seated trauma. And is that playing out a pattern, playing that pattern out? It's just repeating that pattern until it it comes to the light. And so the abuse still continues from where it all started. It didn't start with me. It didn't start with Sarah. It started before that, and probably for that person, 
It started before that somewhere else. But you and I are both in the middle of some real redemption stories, yeah. right? And grateful every day. And I, I think what I want, I want to talk about that from what that redemption story means to you. And not so much circumstantially, because we got the thing our hearts desired most, your reunion with Bruce, mine with Sarah. So we got that. But what is the redemption story? Because God has that for everybody. Whether or not the circumstances line up the way you want, what is that redemption story meant to you? Well, it's it, well again. Is when when I was in the season of sorrow, I would it, in the dark nights when I couldn't sleep, I would think about that God is a refresher and a restorer and a redeemer, and I would just kind of think about that, and then it was like hope. That would be the word. It, I there was like hope because I wasn't experiencing that necessarily in the moment. And then as I have entered into a season and of redemption um, and restoration where there's beautiful things happening in my marriage and there is love flowing between Bruce and I, but I think the thing I was looking for was, this sounds weird, but like I wanted to feel like myself again because when you don't feel okay, you just don't feel okay. And so whether that had come through staying married or not being married, I just wanted to feel healthy and hopeful. And so I think that, I don't know, I think of it like seasons and and like there's winter and there's summer and there's spring and like that's just the story of life. Yeah. And, And so, but if you've been through a winter, what I'm finding is when I, I am so much more patient and compassionate with people now that I'm in a season of refreshment. And I told you this the other day, um, when you know someone who's suffering, a lot of times you're thinking, I, you don't have that much to offer them. But when a person's really suffering, it's like they're in a desert. If they're in a season where they're like, God, please take me home, you know, that season. Uh-huh. And if you took a wash rag and it had just a drip of water on it and you t- twisted that wash rag and just a little bit of water came out of it, it's so good to the person in the desert, that little drop. And so I just remember when I was suffering, how much it meant to me when you would pray with me, you and Sarah would pray for me, or I could be just real with a friend and saying, I'm really struggling today. And they would say, i I just really love you, I'm praying for you, or whatever. Any little morsel of encouragement meant everything to me in that season. And so now I'm encouraged when I know somebody, I have a friend whose daughter's, her son-in-law just died, and I was just able to do one little tiny thing for her the other day that I knew meant something to her. And I knew that even a little tiny thing means a lot to someone who's suffering. That's a good way to see it too, because I think people feel overwhelmed by the suffering of others. And if it's if it's a marriage breakup, if it's a death of a child, if it's some major catastrophe, we feel so inept to try and even mean it. We just, in the awkwardness, stay away. And what the person needs more than anything is presence, someone present with them and someone holding that space in their heart for their for their darkness and hurt. And someone just adding a drop or two to that hope that's got to grow in the darkness. If that hope doesn't grow, that whole idea of Jesus just take me home mm-hmm. begins to predominate. And so mm-hmm. Sarah found it. You found some hope. 
in the middle of that. And I know we kind of minimize that because people just want the circumstance to change and then I'll be better. But you've really got to find the hope even before the circumstance changes or doesn't change in the way you want. Hope is the thing that God is bigger than this. And God has a way through this for me. And God has a way out on the other side. Even if I don't get the thing I'm praying for and the thing I want most, God has a way. And my, uh, the word we use for redemption oftentimes at the God journey, Kyle, I think the Kyle originated this, is living wholeheartedly. That's mm. how that generation talks. Mm. To be wholehearted in my living so that I'm not feeling less than myself or I'm not feeling constrained by what someone else is doing to me. To have the freedom to be wholehearted to me speaks well of redemption and restoration. Mm -hmm. And particularly when those wholeheartedness, when the circumstance lines up with the heart, if again, Sarah, God had a way, I'm sure, if Sarah and I didn't find our way back together. Mm -hmm. And I would still find a way to live wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. but there would be a piece of me always missing. Sure. And so there would be a trail, there'd be an undertone of pain, even in whatever joy and wholeheartedness God would give me. And I see that with people who've lost a child or- Well, yeah, it's like the scars of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's not, it, it's not like that his hands were completely void of scar. Yeah. Um, I think this was, this was actually really cool. How many people are stubborn or have, were told they were stubborn in their life? Well, this is a character trait that I found very valuable um, because I kept, you know, I know it's so easy when people suffer to, for them to, their mentality can be like, God, don't you see me? Have you forgotten me? You know, there's all the, those are all normal feelings. Even David prayed like that. That's right. Yes. Elijah, take me home. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing that's cool is if you have some basic things you believe about God, like God is good. He's my dad. He loves me. Like whatever, whatever you can cling to. And you can be like, I know that. Like mm -hmm. that I know. Like, I know that God is a, he restores people. It's been a long time. And then you take your stubbornness, which people think in a negative way, but I'm, it's positive. If you're stubborn, you like cling to the, to not the promises of God, like he's going to do good things for me. Not, I mean, more, I did it more to his character. He is good. Hmm. He is love. And usually in the story with his children, there is redemption. There is all that. And so I just, if you can wait it out like a bratty kid who like is stubborn. <laughs> like you wait it out. You wait it out. And I remember the when I was coming out, and this was like a year and a half ago, but I was walking down the little road. We live um, on the river. We live on the river, on the river. And um, I was walking down the road and I had a day where I, it, this sounds dramatic, but it's true, where I realized I had no pain. Hmm. I was at that, and I, and I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. And then more days strung together and more days strung together and more days strung together. And it was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, I mean, like Satan, whatever. But it's like the hopelessness, whatever you want to call that. It's like I waited it out. Ha, ha. Like, that's right. That is my God. Not me. Not about me, whatever. Right. But it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you are all that. God, you are all that. Ha ha. And I actually am in a season of refreshment. And like my friends who walked me through the season are like, remember when we could fairly feel you? You were flat Stanley and we couldn't peel you off the floor, you know? Yeah. And so it's kind of cool because at the end of the day, we all enter into this world and we will physically leave this world in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. 
And what do we have when we leave our earth suit? Whatever this thing, this God thing, this connection we have with God, this life we have in God, this life of love, this life of hope. Hmm. And it's like all the, all the other things, the things that happen to us on planet earth, it's like our reality will be the him. It's like what we have here, but it's what we'll have forever. So, And that helps have enough of that to hold on to. What, what about the person who in their pain is going, I don't know that God exists. Yeah. I, I don't. And we've all had moments where we've felt like, what if yeah. he doesn't? What if he isn't really there? What if this is all something I've contrived in my mind? But I think people who get on with the redemption story find some way to center their heart in, okay, I know he's good, and I know he loves me. And if I don't know that because inside I know that, people I know whom I love and whose lives I watch, mm -hmm. they believe that. And mm -hmm. I think that has brought them along in a redemption story because that's really what we're talking about. There's a redemption story God has for every one of us. Yes. doesn't matter what darkness you're in or what you've been through. He has a redemption story, not just in eternity. And that's, yes. that's why I want a short circuit High life. High in the sky, yeah. Life is painful. And my gosh, what's happened in Israel this week? And when you see these yeah. families and children and you know, it's so much evil in the world. And, yeah. But God has a redemption story mm -hmm for them too, as long as we're on this planet. And mm -hmm. then one day we'll have a, a fuller redemption story mm -hmm. when we don't have all the evil that's around us. But someone beginning, and that, that's what I tell people who are really, really hurting, find some hope to latch onto. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants that pie in the sky, false hope, I believe something that never happened. That's why I like to say expectancy about God is better than expectations of God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, we oh, almost never Oh, remind that too. Remind that. Seriously, because that, that, that's huge. It is huge because we have all these expectations, and when they're not met, then we question God's reality mm -hmm. instead of, no, I'm going to anchor my soul in His reality mm -hmm. and His goodness and love. And I may not get what I want or what I would expect a loving God to give me, but... I will have an expectancy this God can redeem whatever circumstance I'm in for His goodness. Well, what I want to say too, you, you earlier you said that there might be somebody who, which would have been me, because I, I used to be an atheist, who might be in a place where they're not sure God is real. And, and what I would say is, I would like, not that you, need, you don't need my permission, but I would give permission, go like my son went through, has has gone through that and is still sort of meandering in some place, you know, has meandered in those those waters, I guess you might say, several times in, in seasons in his life. To meander in those places is important now because really, seriously, so many people when they get to their deathbed, and again, not to be dreary, but <laughs> that will come up for you if you haven't wrestled with it now. When you face your mortality when you really face it, if you do face it, that question will come up. And so God is big enough for you to, if he's real, you know, if you seek me, you will find me. If, if it's all real, if, if the whole Jesus God thing is real, um, I would just, it's, it's almost like if I had a house and I had an invitation and I was inviting you over, I would invite you to go ahead and explore that with God. Mm. And go ahead and give yourself permission to wrestle with that. Because God, if he's real, and if you seek him, you will find him. 
you can just bring that to him and say, this a Muslim did. He was like, God, I don't know if you're real. And I'm like, why are we telling God that? <laughs> but go ahead and tell him that. But go ahead and tell him. Because that, that's what Watchman Nee told people to do. If you don't believe in God, the atheist would tell him, I don't believe in the God you're talking about. He said, well, do me a favor, go home tonight and tell the God you, tell God you don't believe in him. I go, why would I do that? And oftentimes God would speak to their hearts. Because mm -hmm. one thing to believe, and we got into this conversation a little bit earlier today, it's one thing to believe there's a redemption story for me. Mm -hmm. And it's another thing to trust the redemption story for our kids or our husband. Or our, I got an email this week from a wife that's her husband's questioning the existence of God. And mm -hmm. she was just, she was a little concern about it. I, I, won't, I won't try to typify what that concern was, but she was deeply concerned that he's even questioning the existence of God. And what's that going to do to my marriage? What's it going to do to my life? And I, when I wrote her back, I just said, you want him doing this. This is really, really good. I think the whole conformity Christian thing a lot of us grew up in is you've got to keep saying and believing the right thing externally, even if you don't. Where God is saying, Come explore. Go, go ahead, take a risk on me. Find out if I'm real. Find out if I care about take you. Take a risk on me. I love that. Yeah, go <laughs> ahead. Because I, like you said, if he is the God he says he is, right. he will handle your questions and your doubts. Just keep coming to that. And maybe the God you're rejecting isn't even him. True. <laughs> yeah, the God. Your image of what, what, whatever the presentation that has been given of him is... He's greatly disfigured by the way people have talked about God, for sure. Mm. So when people are Ill disillusioned, mm -hmm. I always think that's just the best thing in the world. It means you had illusions about God. Yeah. So now they're dissed. Great. Now the prayer is, God, I want to know you as you really are. Yeah, and it's like, does love look like... The thing you're rejecting, you can say, does love look like that? Is that what love looks like? Yeah. Yeah. But I talk to a lot of parents of adult children mm -hmm. whose kids have quote-unquote, abandoned the faith yeah. by their definition of it. They don't do the rituals or speak the languages or say the things. And then parents get really, because the whole fear they're going to go to hell and the whole destiny question, and I'll be forever in eternity without my children. And we don't trust that God has a redemption story unfolding in our kids yeah. and that he loves them more than we do. And not only does he love our children more than he would do, he has access to them internally that we don't have. Right. And so when Wait, parents are trying to... He has access, y'all, that's so good. He has access to them internally that we don't have. That's good. And so when we worry, instead of, no, I'm going to trust my kids to, and their story to Jesus. Mm -hmm. When I think how messed up I was about God at 42 before I ended up on a different By the different way, trajectory. I appreciate you being... I love that you talk about that. It's, talk about what? Well, that's humility. You have to have humility to be able to go... Wow. So messed up I was? Yeah. That, that, yeah. <laughs> well, I've learned so much since 42. I've learned so much since 68. Yeah. And not only 1968, I mean, since I was 68. You're two trying years to ago. get a master's degree right now in trauma. I'm not trying to. No, not at all. <laughs> One is coming at me, but I, again, we just know enough about it to be dangerous. We, we have had God's grace walk us through stuff that we didn't know and then read some things and go, Wow, we did make the right decision for nothing other than mm. God was leaning us into some space. But when I look at all that I've learned and what's changed in my heart, man, I want other people to have that journey and not be afraid of it. Whether for, it's for their kids, kids, I see what you're saying, their grandkids, unsaved husband, uh, friend at work. I mean, we're, all the talk of we've got to evangelize people, we've got to convert them, and 
in many ways, we convince them to say things with their mouth that God had not yet won in their hearts. And that's about us feeling, trying to make us feel good. Yeah, us feel comfortable. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. Um, I We have two kids and my goal, again, because I grew up where um, my mother claimed to be an atheist, um, I have a brother and sister. They have their own story and their own journey. Um, I claimed to be an atheist until I was like 29 or 30. And then I married a Jewish guy. And then I came to faith in Jesus when my kids were little. And it's interesting because my only goal, I'd meet women. I'd go, I'd go to church and people would talk about wanting their kids to be pastors or um, missionaries or whatever. And I, which is great. That's great if you want to do that or you feel led to do that or called to do that. But I literally, all I thought was, I just want to introduce them to this God. That was my entire goal in parenting. I didn't really feed my kids that great. I, like, there was a lot of things, nutrition, I missed some things. Didn't clothe them at all. I didn't but... clothe, they didn't wear more costumes, <laughs> that's actually true. There were so many things I missed, but my goal was, I just want to introduce them to this God. And my, my daughter will say that she goes, she wanted, she saw that I had a genuine relationship with God and it made her want one too. Mm -hmm. But what's funny is both of our kids right now are, are seeking God, but it looks really different on each of them. One of them is um, in a more charismatic kind of vent, vent what do you call it, uh, vein, and going to a church that I, I struggled with some things because the church would uh, seem to be teaching you could lose your salvation and that hit a hot button for me and then our son kind of went on a journey where he was more um kind of throwing things off and being like well i don't even know if i believe in the bible and you know and then i kind of felt like i was switzerland as they were both kind of sort of coming to me as i was learning to unparent almost like i had to start going okay these are adults they're on their own journey God is bigger than, this isn't about me anyway. Who would I be to try to control or um, only if they ask? You know, even as a parent, even as a parent of adult kids, it's like be prepared to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. Sure. So then I have a daughter on one side and I'd be saying things like, hey, you might want to read that scripture in context or I don't know. <laughs> and then I had a son who was like kind of throwing the Bible out for a season. And then I would say, well, I don't really view the Bible the same way that you are, but I, res I understand where you're at, but I give the Bible more weight than you do. And just being me in the middle of watching them go on their own journey. And the, the real important thing to me was how do we do this in a healthy way? to where, which means freedom. And if you think about God the Father, if God is real and if, if the theology of Jesus Christ being the savior of the world and the one who brings life to us, if that's all true, then look how uncontrolling God is. I mean, look at how he lets his kids make all kinds of decisions and believe all kinds of things. How interesting that we want to control often the minds of our adult kids and have them conform to some sort of system or behavior or thought process that's ours but isn't theirs. Or doctrinal assent. That's where Christianity is so narrow. 
the whole idea of who is saved and not saved and who's going to be in eternal torment and who's not. The parents are, I'm going to get my kids saved. And, and all the fear that mm -hmm. that begins. There is no way to love your child out of fear. Interesting. If you're afraid for their soul, or your neighbor for that matter, if you're afraid for their soul, you're afraid for this, you're not in a position to love them. Interesting. But I've been praying for Sarah for 14 years when we first ran into this little bit. We didn't know how deep this trauma went, but there was a little tripwire that we tripped over 14 years ago. And since that, my prayer every day has been, Father, help me love Sarah today the way you want Sarah loved. Which was really different than, I'm going to love her, and I'm going to force this or force that. Help me love her the way you want. Just to be kind, to be tender, to be aware. The to part give. that you have control over. Yes. Like, that's what you have control over. Which is very over. little, right? Right. But you do have control. Well, that's interesting, because when Bruce was going through his cancer season, and I wasn't sure what I was going to decide, I would go to the Lord and say, I, and my prayer was, what, how, how do I be in this relationship where I don't even know if I'm going to stay? And I really sense the idea of you can be kind and you can be loving and you can be polite. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that. Yeah. And so I could do that yeah. as I waited. But waited. we'll use conversion as a weapon. We weaponize love. And then it's not love at all. So I, if I'm, I'm loving my child by convincing them they're doing wrong and I'm going to get them to do the right thing, you're not loving them. You're just not. But when this the kindness, tenderness, ways I can serve, ways I can answer questions when they come to me rather yeah, than me. Yeah, but even then you have to let go of the result. Even then, even then, the, you're, you're, what you're describing is a healthier way of doing it. It's almost like it's a healthier path, which is... But at the end, the real kahuna is when you give them off in freedom. It's almost like you give them the freedom to, to make their own decisions. Which I think love always does. I agree. Because love, love doesn't manipulate the outcome, even for their own good. Because that, that's how we end up just tormenting each other. It, Correct. It's, it really just loves trust the journey, trust God in the journey. Jesus said, no one comes to me except the Father draw him anyway. So there's going to be some point in their life where that drawing's taking place. And if I'm trying to pull that trigger before God is, I'm shoving them away from the kingdom I want them to be in. I, I want to encourage parents who are struggling mm. with this to maybe pray that prayer that I prayed with Sarah. Something yeah. like, God, help me love my child today. That's practical. The way you want them loved. Not the way my fear tells me I need to love them. Right. Which is basically to manipulate them. Fear plus love equals manipulation. And you that's really get the, about you and not your child. you got to get the fear out of love. And now you'll know how to just be kind and gracious, knowing that this is in Father's hands. It's not in yours. And my anxiety over it is only going to make their journey worse. It's not going to give them the freedom to discover who God is in their own life and heart and time. It's not for us to even determine, like, we don't know that. Like, it's a humility that's in God's hands. Yeah, so much is in God's hands. But we're players on the stage. And when we can love well, mm -hmm. we give people mm -hmm. maximum opportunity mm -hmm. to have their own redemption story. Yeah, yeah, when we don't love well, we cause them to trip up. because. Are forcing an outcome they're not ready to choose, mm -hmm. they'll resent it. Yeah. And they'll resent the choice you want them to make. And they'll move further from it, which I see all over the New Testament when Jesus is just saying, I can't say that to them because they're not ready yet. The people have ears to hear, let them hear. So there's a season, there's a moment in our life when we're open to stuff. 
And when we're not open to stuff, we, we push people away yeah. by trying to give them something they're not ready for. And that freedom, what I've found that's interesting is that the freedom that I have been growing into and walking in with both of my kids, it's, I feel like if I was, you know, it's like base. If, um, if I was playing a sport and, I, and like I was base, what happens is um, my son will want, will want to share with me some of, I mean, he'll send me some podcasts trying to, pers- you know, of things that are like, I'm like, well, I'm not sure I agree with all that. But I try to, when I listen to him, I try to look at what I do agree with, engage with him, and then give him the freedom to think what he thinks. And what's interesting is that I've found a couple of times I've found him trying to persuade me. Hmm. And then when he crosses that boundary, I've even said to him, Josh, I love talking to you about all this. And I am so open-minded and I'm, you know, I respect your journey. But um, if your goal is to persuade, to change my mind, that I'm not, I'm not looking for that. I, I, you know, I'm open to it, but I, but if that's your intention, but if your intention is for me to know you and know where you're at in your journey and to understand and walk alongside you and be curious, I'm all in for that. But if your entire goal, if you need me to change what I think for you to feel okay, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably isn't. I didn't get here easily. You know, I didn't get from being an atheist to believing in Jesus Christ, you know, the simple gospel, like I keep, I like to keep it simple, but I believe, I do believe, you know, I, and I do struggle with that too. I do struggle with that because, you know, there are different religions and different ways of thinking. And sometimes Christianity doesn't even look like the God that I know there's behaviors, but at the end of the day, if I was staring someone in the face on their deathbed, I would encourage them to open themselves up to the, to the God that I know and the Christ that I know. I would. Absolutely. But the better way to have that conversation, I think, like when somebody gives me a podcast and it's maybe got an agenda to it for me, I'll generally turn around and say, what do you get out of that? What does that do for you? And that gives me, because mostly what I'm assuming is they're trying to change something about me because I guess we're all defensive by nature. And they'll say, well, this is what I liked about it. I'm going, oh, I like that too. And it wasn't at all what I thought the agenda might have been in giving that to me. So I find people, even when I talk to people, I find people who challenge what I think to not be even effective for them. But if they can ask, Wayne, are you saying this? That's why I'm saying that. But I could be nuts. I, I may not. I may not see this right. Right. Uh, but I'm I see through a glass dimly. Yeah. So I think those conversations are really effective. So I do a lot of question asking now, which leads to more discovery often than when I'm trying to say. You know, they'll, they'll give me something. I'll, I'll immediately come back with my analysis of the problem inherent in what I just heard, and they're not even right. They don't even care about that. What that? I, so I always just kind of. So what'd you hear in that? What, what resonates with your heart? And then I learn a lot about them. Yeah. I find that the new neighborhood we're in, the neighbors we're meeting and talking to, uh, people are kind of finding out he's a Christian author and he's got these books and worked on the shack. And, and people are expecting me to like convert them. You can tell. They come order house, have dinner. And they might bring up, you were a minister once? I said, yeah, I did it. Not a lot of that. It was meaningful to me. And then we go on talking about the weather or football or whatever because I'm wanting to get to know them as people. And they're almost like then saying, well, tell me what you believe about this. Okay. If you want to know, we're in. But we're coming at it in their time. Yeah. 
Not, I've got, this is what always ticked me off about the evangelists that come and knock on your door. They've got a script and they've got to move you to that script so they know how to answer the question. Yes. And to have the freedom to sit with somebody in their journey. Yes. And not control its outcome is a gift. And they'll come to God faster mm-hmm. when we take the manipulation out of it than they ever will when we're pushing. And I know it's counterintuitive and we're all taught, nope, you got to give an account for the hope. And when they ask. ask with gentleness and respect. Yes. Then there's that. And that gets lost when you manipulate. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> That's kind of unimportant. Hey, it's been great talking to you again, Tracy. So good. It's good to visit you guys here in different part of the countryside, I guess. This yeah. Is, I, you're always in Megatropolis of Dallas or something when I've seen you. Sometimes so. I'm there too when there's grandbabies. Yeah, well, you know what? Grandbabies will make you do things that are just weird as can be. But it's great. You finally get to meet Sarah. I've been wanting that so, to happen for a while. She's beautiful. She is a amazing person inside and out. Her journey, her journey is one of such... Gosh, amazing courage and amazing resolve to just talk about a redemption story. From the day she began to discover things about her past she had never known, she's been locked on, facing it, finding out what's true, finding God in it, finding the freedom. She's never once tried to push something back into the darkness. When it came out of the darkness, <sighs> she embraced it. This is it. I don't need to deal with this. It's time. It's so courageous. It's because darkness is what we said earlier about shadowing God's love. It puts it, it breaks the pace of God's love in our heart. And when we want to Wait, shy away... say that away, again slowly. Say that again. What's that? Darkness. Breaks the pace of God's love in our heart. It's God, I, I've never said these things before. Don't think I've got a script here. No, sake. I'm just... But what does that mean? That means God has a pace of inviting us into the redemption story. Right. And when things get exposed that we've been in the darkness, right. for us to shove them back in there breaks the pace of that. Yes. Now, God will repace. God Absolutely. Will he's like, he's like the navigation system when you turn a wrong turn. Just reroute you. But you could get to freedom faster and, and healing more quickly if you don't keep things pushed down in the darkness. That's, to me, the most important part of growth is that I want to keep embracing what's true. And I'm open to the fact that I don't have a market on the truth. Sure. So when something new comes along, if it's true about me, if it's true about, I mean, Sarah's letter she left on the counter for me. If that letter is true, my whole life was a lie. But I told God, if my whole life's been a lie, this is a good time to find out. Yeah. I would have liked to find out 40 years ago. That's right. But if this letter's true, then I, my life's been a lie, I, I will change everything. Mm-hmm. If it's not a lie, then my wife's in trouble and we need to find a way to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, love, I love that Sarah's been relentless in her pursuit of what darkness has been controlling her. And God's been liberating it. It's a slow process. Like you said, it's not fast. No. Our, our redemptive stories are not fast. They're no. not overnight, went forward, everything changed. I That's was perfect That's where stubbornness that. comes in. Handy. I like to say tenacity. I know. I, I, yes. Our daughter was incredibly stubborn. She was one of those strong-willed children. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched her go through 32 hours of labor to have her first child, I was going, I'm so thankful for the tenacity That's of That's right. Girl. Comes in handy. Stubborn is maybe the negative side of tenacity is definitely the positive side. And it comes in handy. Thank you. You're welcome. Blessings to you. Until we do this again someday. Absolutely. Okay, Tracy. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 